we're going back to the West Indies. We were in Barbados a couple of weeks ago talking to Roland Butcher, and uh, with all the action that's going on in that part of the world, we thought we'd had to get back there um, with the second test uh, getting underway later this week. So I'm joined from sunny Barbados by a, a West Indian cricketing legend and surely one of the most famous commentating voices in the world these days. Uh, it's a great big welcome to 98 out to Mr. Ian Bishop. Ian, welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Amano. Just tell me what the weather's doing so I can depress myself even more. Um, okay, I, I'll be realistic. I look to my right and it's bright and sunny outside. I actually had to close the curtains because it was too bright coming through my, my uh, glass sliding doors. Um, but I hope it stays that way because in Antigua we had a few rain interruptions and that was very unseasonal for that time of the year, as far as I could recollect. So I'm hoping that Barbados gives us its best side weather-wise. I know Barbados very well. Um, is, is it a, a slightly different weather pattern to Antigua? Because whenever I visit Barbados, you get rain showers, but they move on pretty quickly. Same in, similar, similar in Antigua. They come, they go, because they're small islands and the wind is obviously so strong. Antigua fascinates me perhaps more than Barbados. Uh, Barbados can give you a good rain shower. Um, in Antigua, I remember when we used to host the regional T20 tournament there, the old Stanford thing. It, we never, we hardly ever lost a game. And that used to be down in, uh, I can't remember the time of year, second half of the year, rainy season. And the rains would just pile in, blow over, and we'd go again. So I'm hoping Kensington Oval is usually very good anyway. So fingers crossed. Is Alan Stanford's name still mentioned in the Caribbean or is it a bit of a dirty word? That was the first time I used it for about <laughs> um, 10 years. I, was, I, I usually say the old regional T20 tournament, but in this case, I think you'd have very, very little understanding of what I meant. West Indian viewers, uh, for me, I don't know whether it's used. Um, I very seldom use it um, because I think it's, it brings back... Uh, a little sense of mixed feelings in terms of the structure of the thing um, was helpful, but the other side of it is something that I don't ever talk about. Yeah, for, for UK uh, viewers and listeners, there is a, a really good documentary about the whole Alan Stanford affair that's on Sky Sports Cricket, mm -hmm. which you can download mm -hmm. via the website. But um, right. we're not here to talk about negative things, Mr. Bishop, we're here <laughs> to talk positive. So uh, right. for our younger viewers and listeners, um, they need to be informed. First of all, we're in the presence of West Indian bowling greatness. Um, and um, when you first started uh, playing international cricket, you, were, you, you made quite an impact and... Uh, I'm actually slightly older than you, so I can remember your, your arrival on the scene very, very well. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I can remember that run-up, that side-on action. Um, okay. Very <laughs> devastating. When you said greatness, I looked around to see Pretty behind <laughs> me because he's the great one, and he's in the room behind me, right behind me here as I speak now. Who's that? Oh, look, Kirkley Ambrose. Oh, um, right. Oh, yeah, those are the great guys. <laughs> Ambrose Walsh, yeah, I can bore a hole through the, um, the thingy. I'm sure he'll accommodate. I'll, I'll talk to him later, actually. Thank you. Um, yeah, himself and Walsh and, and Michael Oling, who was very good to me uh, as a mentor when I started out at, at Derbyshire. I went to Derbyshire, actually, because he was a Derbyshire. Surrey had asked me, actually, had approached me, actually, to go to Surrey, and Mikey sort of swayed it <laughs> the other way. 
up at Derbyshire. Not sure why. Um, but no, cricket with all the injuries, even with all the injuries, um, it was a dream come true because when I was young growing up, obviously as an admirer of West Indies cricket and its players, I never thought that I would one day be one of them and Bishop running in from the Kirkstall and just never sounded right until it actually happened. So uh, I'm honoured and privileged. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it's quite an era um, of, of those players coming through. And, you know, when I was a youngster, Michael Holding, you know, it was Viv Richards with the bat, but Michael Holding with the ball and that incredible, smooth, kind of elegant action of running in. I mean, the longest run-up, I don't think anyone had had a run-up like that before him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wes Hall, Wes Hall, as we're in Barbados, Wes Hall might throw an argument your way, but uh, that's another one I'll have to talk to when I see <laughs> Another great name of West Indian cricket, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what are your, what are your, your fondest memories of, uh, of playing the game? There are a lot of memories, but I remember the first time I heard my name mentioned to be selected for the West Indies. I'd actually jumped on a plane headed to the UK jumped on a bus and had headed up north to play for a club called Evenwood Cricket Club in 1988, very early in 1988. Um, and I got off the bus and the gentleman who came to pick me up said to me, Bishop, I'm sorry, you're not going to be playing for us this season. And I was in shock because I traveled all this way across to the UK. I was on a bus from London up north. And I said, why? He said, well, you've just been selected for the West Indies. And I mean, that was a shocker <laughs> to me. So he took me to an apartment where they had another West Indian, local West Indian guy playing called Andrew Light, the late Andrew Light. And I remember getting into the apartment, watching the sun go down, watching the sun come back up. I didn't sleep a wink that night. And then I had to go back to London to meet up with the guys, uh, the West Indies team the next day. And I don't think I spoke a word when I got into the room with Dujan and Richards and Greenwich and Ains for about two weeks. Um, so those that, that was the start of it. Um, in terms of a, a memorable game, I, I don't know. I, I just think the whole thing was fascinating. Uh, fantastic. I have a few regrets in terms of games that we lost. Um, World Cup semi-final in 96 in Mohali comes to mind, which I don't ever talk about that much. But no, I was privileged uh, to play with Viv, um, to play with Desmond, to play with Gordon, and then to play with Courtney and Kirtley for a little bit longer was, was great. Viv uh, celebrated his 70th birthday last week yes. and uh, he doesn't look to be any different. The hair's a little thinner, but otherwise <laughs> he looks the same. He's kept himself remarkably well. Um, I can see the difference, of course, um, <laughs> having known him from the younger days. Uh, he, he's still very fit, but the muscles used to be bulging so much back in the day. But he's one of those guys who's aged brilliantly. And I was actually saying to some of the guys the other day, said it on air as well, the one thing I loved about Viv, and I still do, is that I don't ever remember raising him raising his voice to me when I played under him. He was my first West Indies captain. But he didn't have to. He just had to look in your direction, and you knew whether he approved of you or he disapproved of what you were doing. But he always let you know where you stood with him. If he did not like you, he would say to your face, I do not appreciate you or what you're doing and I find that endearing in a sense 
because he's not one of the guys to go behind your back and, and say something and in front of your face say something else. Very straight up guy. Um, and I really do hope that he has another 25, 30 years on the face of the earth because he, he means so much to, to people like myself. He taught me about the passion of playing for West Indies and for people that look like us. So I don't want that to ever be lost. Yeah, I'm just thinking of that natural swagger that he had. You know, I can see him <laughs> coming down the pavilion steps, chewing that gum. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't really... I wish I had appreciated the, the couple of years that I played with him a little bit more because sitting in the dressing room, he'd just be sleeping and he'd sometimes he'd be sleeping while the game is going on and he'd just jump up out of his sleep when a wicket fell and grab his hat and put it on and start chewing the gum and walk out to the middle. But I didn't appreciate his power as a player until one day, I can't remember whether it was 92, maybe, um, I was playing for Derbyshire against Glamorgan and the spirit just got a hold of him that day because I played a, game, a couple of games against him and he hadn't scored and he got a hundred in Ponty Parade that day. And he backed away. I thought I was in the prime and operating at high pace. And he just backed away for one shot and slapped it over extra cover down to an old tree somewhere. And that just said to me how several great opposition bowlers in years gone by when he was at his peak, because he was coming to the end of his career then, how they must have felt with this man. He, most destructive player I've ever, ever seen. And then you were witness to a kind of progression in that team, as you said, when uh, Viv and Gordon Greenwich and Desi kind of moved aside. Then there was the new breed that came through. Now you mentioned Curtly Ambrose, Courtney Walsh. Uh, was was Lara part of your um, of your playing days as well? Yeah, I, I played from school actually with Brian from the under fourteen level. I went to a school called Belmont Boys Secondary and Brian was like the more established and esteemed Fatima College. So we've been battling against each other uh, since the under 14 days. And I sort of preceded him into the West Indies team by a year, perhaps. I was in 88, he came in 89, uh, only because he had other duties, uh, I think like an under 19 World Cup, otherwise he would have been there almost immediately. Um, yeah, so... We transitioned. We, I saw the transition and looking back now, I was saying to Kirtley Ambrose the other day, we were discussing it, how clearly the demarcation was um, in terms of that great era. Marshall was still there, Dujon was still there, Viv obviously, Greenwich, Haynes, and Courtney Walsh had straddled that era from 84 into us. And we sort of, as Kirtley said, this, these are Kirtley's words, I'm not qualified to say this because I don't classify myself as a great bowler. Kirtley certainly is. He said he could see how the standards or the abilities had just started to drop off um, after Greenwich and Haynes and, and Marshall and those guys moved on. And on reflection, I was saying to, I could also see it. So I could give some revisionist history. When people say, the West Indies started struggling um, from maybe 2000 or just before, I could see a progression of struggles coming through even from the late 80s. Um, you know, and I, I love the way that Mr. Ambrose really said it. You know, he said the standards and the abilities just started just tailing off a little bit. So 
But still, Kirtley said, we still had the ability with himself and a few others, Lara, excellent player, Jimmy Adams, Chan Nepal, to carry on winning, even though structurally it had started to dip. West Indies has always had, even I think the West Indies was, were lucky in the 70s and 80s and the 90s of having so many world-class players. Um, I mean, it was like a freak almost because, uh, and there was this conveyor belt. Um, but even in this sort of um, decline, um, but even then in the decline, there have been flashes of brilliance. Um, you've still had great players in the modern game. You, you look at sort of... Um, uh, Shiv Chanderpaul, um, uh, Chris Gale, Chris Gale. That's right, and even yeah. you know yeah. right up to Jason Holder and uh, yeah. some of the guys now. Um, yeah. Can you put your finger on what has happened that the success has been much harder to come by? I don't look. I, I won't pretend. I cannot sit here and pretend to be the know-it-all on that situation, and I won't pretend to. I, I think I can give you a part. Structurally in the Caribbean, I think we we let it slip a bit with thinking that we'd continue to have the Lloyds, the Marshalls, the Walshes, the Ambrose, the Laras coming through without too much effort. That wasn't the case because there started to become other distractions of technology, um, of social life changing and evolving. And so pulling at the market share of, of the cricketer, we did not have the finances nor channel the finances into investing in better structures, pitches, uh, coaches, coaching setups. All of those things are apart. What I would say is that, as you rightly said just now, if we go back to Ambrose coming through, um, Lara coming through after that, Gale, Sawan, Holder, Bravo, Bravo, all of those pollards in a different type of game. Um, there is still talent. There has always been talent, cohesively though. And for test match cricket, mostly challenged. Um, it's been a problem of all of those issues of which I speak. So I see the West Indies cricket board, cricket West Indies of restarting the academy. I like that. I love that. I think get young guys in there, um, get better coaches, some of the Haynes, the Greenwich, all those guys coaching at the grassroots level would be so fantastic. So there's talent there. The, the other thing that I notice, I'm, I'm a regular visitor to the West Indies. Um, right. It's still the passion and the interest. You know, you, you go on a weekend, you go past any piece of green or, you know, the local clubs, there are, there are games going on and people in there nicely starched and pressed whites um, <laughs> and play with enthusiasm and then under the trees... There are some of the old timers there giving their views. And, uh, you know, also if you go into any rum shop, um, you can easily get into a very intense conversation about the game. Um, the passion is still there. I've stayed away from the rum shop. So, <laughs> <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> I wouldn't put my hand up to say that I'm a man of the people and you can find me hanging out at the street corner. It never happened anyway. Um, <laughs> Things have changed, you know, as you would very well know, in some ways. There's still, for example, here in Barbados, there are call-in programs in Antigua. There are call-in programs and there are fierce call-in programs. Um, some of them with blinkers on, but it tells you a little bit about the passion. This one should be dropped. That one, play, <laughs> drop the entire team. <laughs> I, I, I play this. You go to Ghana, 
get rid of everyone. Why is um, Hitmeyer not playing? <laughs> uh, you know, so the passion is still there. But it's always been a hard region to govern because you're talking about disparate territories, um, different governments, long flights. I remember when we were growing up in Trinidad, I don't know if you've ever been to Trinidad, but I grew up in Port of Spain. So there's a Queen's Park Savannah, which we call the biggest roundabout in the world. It's uh, about a couple of miles around it. But within that, there used to be, I would say, 20 cricket grounds spread across that entire pasture. And we played on matin pitches. And every weekend, as you said, there'd be 20 games of cricket going on at different spots, some crossing the others. And there used to be the mix of young players, senior players. Now what I'm hearing, I haven't been around club cricket for a couple of years, is that there are a lot of young guys playing and not a lot of older guys mixing and sharing their knowledge. So those are some of the areas that have changed. And that's why I think an academy in each territory has to be a must, um, not to mention T20 cricket, which West Indies have become better at, has taken a hold of, of many of the young players. Yeah. Is it because you think they, they, they kind of look at the lifestyle and the rewards and they think, well, that's for me, but I'm not going to get that from playing test cricket maybe? Well, it could be, you know, it could be part of it in that I remember when I was coming towards, I was still playing club cricket in Trinidad. So I was like about halfway maybe through my, my international career. And it started getting harder and harder for more senior players who had to work during the week to make available themselves for the entire weekend from 12 o'clock to six o'clock in the evening because they had families. They had to look after those families. The social world was changing, more demands on work life and family life. And so T20 cricket has hit a sweet spot for that reason. It's also fitted in well with West Indians who are aggressive batsmen, mostly, not all, Craig Brathwaite would disagree with me totally, and Kumar Bonner would say, that's not the current version of me. And so it sat well with the Bravos, for example, to display their all-wrong skills, bowling, Narayan bowling, Pollard batting, and the time span was shorter. And so when the Gales and the Pollards and the Bravos and the Narines and these guys and the Badgeries, who are excellent, great players in this format, started changing the narrative, I could see why young players gravitated towards that and why little kids coming through wanted to play a reverse sweep rather than a forward defensive. So it's all played a part. So we mentioned a lot of names there. Bravos, Pollards, Richards, Marshall, Lloyd. Lara, mm. but there's one name we haven't mentioned. One name now. Let me remember the name. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay, that's embarrassing. The moment that um, Mr. Ian Bishop wrote himself mm. into cricketing folklore with one of the most memorable bits of commentary. Um, but before we discuss it, um. Uh-huh. I, I was just doing a bit of research there, and I, found, I came across a really interesting story from that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there we are in Kolkata. Mm-hmm. It's the climax of the game. It's reaching the, you know, it's it's height. You're mm-hmm. there on mic, uh, but alongside you is is uh, David Bumble Lloyd, who we had on, had on this show last week. He was talking. All right. 
talking really beautifully about Shane Warne and Rod Marsh and the, the sad news of their passing. But oh, man. run me through this story. So it was actually he that was on commentary holding the microphone in that last over, and then he passed it to you for the for the final ball. Is that the right? Is that the right story? Yeah, that's absolutely a hundred percent spot on. So. <clears throat> Um, obviously, for, for maybe for some folks that, that don't know, you know, and a lot of people know, but in commentary, if you've got two, sometimes you have three commentators, but in that case, we have two. So there's one guy who's a lead commentator, as you very well know, who's calling each ball. And then when the action happens, the color commentator comes in and describes, let's say, a boundary, and then it goes back to the lead. And Bumble was slotted in to lead that, that final stint. And... At some point during that that thing, he he recognized where the game was heading and who was likely to come out on top. And he just said, you go ahead. But I was contented. I mean, there's video evidence. I was happy to, to, to fulfill my role because I don't like crossing other people's role. I think it's very defined. So I thought without sort of understanding the pressure that he put me on under at the time, now that I look back, it was a lot of pressure that... <laughs> And it was, it was just very kind of him. That's who Bumble is. Um, very selfless. No ego in what he's doing. And I just sort of dr was driven by the moment because the West Indies had come into that tournament with a, a little bit of a siege mentality. There were issues going around behind us, came out eventually with Samuels and Sammy and so forth. And there was a whole build-up to it. So, yeah, Bumble, absolutely right. Um and it's pressure. Why is there pressure? Because in those moments now, you have to ensure that your words are suited for posterity because those are moments that will be replayed time and time again. So I didn't plan anything. What you heard was spontaneous reaction to a situation. Thank God for that. It was the action on the field that defined the moment, not the commentary. I always say that to people. It was Carlos and Marlon who made that moment. Nothing to do with the gentleman shouting his stupid head off in the commentary box. <laughs> Those that don't uh, remember the detail, just to give it a bit of context. So it was the last over. Um, it was England against West Indies in the T20 World Cup final in 2016. West Indies needed 22 off that last over. Was that mm. that was what it was? Was it was it 22? Uh, I mean, it looked like a fairly impossible task. But... <laughs> Carlos Brathwaite just started, uh, and, and it was Ben Stokes was the bowler as well. Yes, um, yes, yes. It was the most incredible situation, um, and uh, yeah, your 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 commentary. Um, well, remember Marlon, Marlon, talking to Marlon actually. I think I don't know where Marlon said it after, but the West Indies. I don't know how many people remember it. The West Indies had dug themselves into a hole because West Indies cricket, as Sammy always says, great man, Darren Sammy, always says they're a boundary-hitting team, a six-hitting team. And I've always argued, Darren, too much focus on six-hitting and not enough focus on scoring off more balls. And they dug themselves into a hole and they ended up coming down to that last over. And I thought, there's a mountain to climb here. And Marlon said that he just said to Carlos, because it might have looked hopeless, he just said, you just swing for the hills when you get on strike there. There was no sort of planning of theories and hit it here and hit it, just swing for the hills. And that was, that was beautiful. Carlos, God bless him, edged himself into cricketing history that can never be taken away. Um, so that was it, yeah, we can... 
I discussed for, yeah. <laughs> and what was another lovely moment when the, they uh, were presented with the trophy that um, the West Indies women's team were also world champions at that time and they, they all came together uh, and uh, wild celebrations with both teams showing their trophies to the world. Yeah, the, the West Indies on the 19 had won uh, a little bit earlier in the year. Uh, the West Indies women obviously had won earlier then and then the men and it stuck around. So it was a, a trifecta for the West Indies. And for Carlos himself, I remember, I've always told the story that the reason that those words came out, I'd been to a men's meeting, Saurav Ganguly had invited me to a, a business meeting the day before and I'd speaking to, there was a question and answer segment with some businessmen who turned up and one of them asked if there's anyone else to look forward to uh, for the West Indies. And obviously it was Chris Gale and those guys. And I remember Carlos was one that wasn't being spoken about. He was actually bowling superbly during that tournament. And, and we talked about fast bowling, Carlos and I, for the last couple of years leading into that because he was trying to bowl faster and really was doing a good job uh, in that tournament. And I just spontaneously answered a question and said, Carlos Brathwaite, he's built like a house remember that name kind of thing. And so when the moment came, must have been subconscious that that line just floated out. I didn't plan it and it just came out. But Carlos's bowling in that final is not something that many people speak about. You go back and watch Carlos's final bowling figures, the people he got out, and you realize that perhaps he should have been the man that, um, should have won all the plaudits there. Um, and he did. People do remember him that Carlos was brilliant. Ben Stokes, on the other hand, has had his redemption, as we said on air the other day. Uh, World Cup in 2019, he was the main figure. And he had divine intervention with the ball ricocheting off the bat, <laughs> the, heading, the heading Lee innings. Um, he had the Bristol incident, as, as you very well remember. Yeah. But I was saying to Butch on commentary that you know, when, when I really started believing more in Ben Stokes, he scored 100 in the IPL for Rajasthan Royals, I think two seasons ago down in the UAE. And his dad was ill. And we were specifically told he's very emotional. Please, when you interview him, please don't ask him about that. Because he scored the 100 and given that sign that he and his dad had personal. And man, he came down there to the presentation and I had to interview him. And all I could say, think about asking was, what does that hundred mean to you? And you know, when a guy pauses before he answers a question, he looks away and that moment seemed like forever. And then he looked back and his whole expression changed. And then he, he talked about the fact that it means a lot to him because of X, Y, Z. And I, he almost cried. And that was the antithesis of the tough guy that I knew. And that's when I realized this guy is so human and people don't recognize the pain that he's going through and has gone through in the past. A genuine fellow, to a fault maybe, but a really superb guy. So I'm happy to see his redemption has, has taken place. Interesting, very interesting. Um, br bringing it to the now, um, mm -hmm. you're in Barbados, as we know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the great cricketing occasions is West Indies versus England at Barbados. Um, yeah. Many, many great, matches down the years it's a Barbados mm -hmm. is as we've said cricket crazy the atmosphere at Kensington right. although it's not the same there's there's uh, I've got a problem with the, the amount of Brits that outnumber oh. 
Okay. You know, um, it's almost like a home game for for England. But you know, I, I can remember going there in the in the eighties and nineties, and uh, you know, it was conch shells, it was horns, whistles, noise. Um, it's changed a little bit, but still, it's a great occasion. And we come on the back of a drawn test in Antigua, but I think mm-hmm. both teams um, can draw positives from that performance. And uh, looking forward to this game. Yeah, uh, the whole crowd thing is not something that really started just this story. I think we're going back a number of years where the visitors have outnumbered the locals, uh, perhaps back to, I was trying to remember whether it was the last time I played against Butch, Mark Butcher in a test match here in 1998. I was there, yeah. Yes, correct. I was trying to remember... If there was little, there were little signs of that even back then. I know, not too long after that, it became a thing. Um, so look, we played some memorable Test matches against England, and here in Barbados, 1990, I remember I heard Lloyd Barker, the umpire on, te- on radio here, talking the other day about when he gave Rob Bailey out caught down the leg side, and everyone was saying that it was Viv Richards charging up the pitch, intimidating Lloyd Barker. Lloyd said no. He's spoken to Viv, he's spoken to Rob since then. It was not anything to do with Viv. He just thought that Rob was out and it took him a while. A great, lovely man, uh, Lloyd. Um, So I I do think it's a wonderful occasion. I wish there had been more local supporters. But if the visitors have more finance or it's skewed towards them, there's nothing that we can do about it until more locals decide they want to have a review of that old tape of guys crawling under the fence to watch Michael Holdings over to Jeffrey Boycott back in the 80s. Um, the old YouTube footage of that is superb. So I think when you say the West Indies can take positives, yes. England can take positives, yes. I'm worried, though. I'm worried. If I take my commentator's hat and put it aside and speak to you as a former West Indian, I'm concerned that I so badly want the West Indies to win. But I think if Mark Wood had been fit on that final day, if a couple of umpiring decisions had gone the other side, I wonder what the outcome would be. And I'm worried about this West Indies batting on a pitch that might do a little bit more. Ollie Robinson could be back, so I'm concerned. But as as an atmosphere, an England-West Indies match is, is so... You, I wonder if you, you remember when we played them up at Sabina Park in 1990 in a one-day game and I had to hit four off the last ball to win the game off Angus Fraser. You probably would not remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a famous tour. Yeah, I almost didn't make it out because had I not hit that for four, they would have hung me, <laughs> my clothing, uh, as an effigy at Sabina Park, because the ball before, Richie Richardson was at the other end and he said, Bish, wherever this ball goes, if it goes through to the keeper, you have to run. And Angus Fraser dipped this ball down the leg side and it just passed on the outside of my pattern. I tried to leg glance, it would find leg up and I missed it. And Richie was halfway down the pitch as it went through to the keeper and I was just frozen. And I did not run. I forgot to run. <laughs> and therefore, I had to hit four of the last balls. So if I had failed to do that, I may not have been here today. That was one of my great memories of a contest between the West Indies and England. 
Well, it's always great. And um, I don't share 100% of your pessimism because... Well, it's not pessimism. It's not pessimism. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's my but West England, Indian concern. England struggle. They've always struggled with the West Indies. It's never been a, an easy place to tour. And the games have always been incredibly well contested. So why? Why? Why do you think? Well, it's a place where England love to tour, and I think the West Indies, it's a case of settling lots of old scores, and, uh, right. you know, there's, there's a lot of pride to be played for there. Right, but, but, but I would argue that when we played, yes, there was that pride for that, but there also had to be the pride for every encounter. The, it, the juices just flowed a little bit more, um, because, Curtly said, Curtly, I never could put it this way, and he's a good friend of mine, he's my former roommate who threatened to throw me off Shirley Heights one time as a roommate of his in Antigua, if I didn't behave myself in the room. Those were the days of roommates. He said when he came into the team, the culture, he wasn't so much in tune with all the historical narr narratives, but just the culture of the guys who were more senior passing it down was what stood him. And then as he learned about what Lord Larry Constantine fought for in the 1950s up in Liverpool and uh, what has happened up at Yorkshire since, all of those bookend why we should feel a sense of pride in, in, in playing and our sort of cutting our own independence in the world. So I think there, were, there is that, but I still don't know that that helps a West Indies batting lineup to the level I would like to see. Come on, help me out. Help me out, seriously. <laughs> Maybe Chris Gale can send some of those great big bats that he uses. And, uh... <laughs> it's, not, it's not a bat. No, no, no. no I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pessimistic, but I, I do have a little concern. I think our bowling is in decent shape. It's starting to come around. Uh, Jaden Seals is a lovely young cricketer. Kima Roach will be outstanding at home. Jason Holder is brilliant at Kensington Oval all round. But the other guys need to step up. So if they can step up, I think we will have, West Indies will have the edge. If they don't step up, it could be a little tighter. <laughs> well, we shall see. We all wait with eager anticipation because it's, it's one of the sports great occasions. Um, oh, thank you. Let alone cricket. Um, now, before you go, um, yeah. on this show, uh, music plays a big part as much as cricket. And with all of our mm -hmm. star guests, uh, we always like to ask for a musical request. And Ian Bishop, you are no exception. So uh, we would like you to request a track for us to play straight after this interview. I hope, I hope that that comes off the internet because you have no idea what I will ask you for. <laughs> because I am not a man who felicitates the normal West Indian thing of soca music and calypso and reggae and all of that. I am more of a man of the cloth. So I head towards gospel music. And so anything from Kirk Franklin, wanna be happy, maybe, is something that I would gravitate towards. And I'm gonna test you on that. We'll find it. We will find oh. it. <laughs> oh, good. good man. Good man. And it's always eclectic. This is why I love asking this question because, uh, you know, when people give honest answers, the, the musical requests and the taste of music are always so surprising. It's, uh, All it's, right. it's incredible. Um, oh. Dinesh Karthik, when we had him on, um, uh -huh. 
same question, and he came up with a Coldplay track that he liked. I'd have oh. never ever said he would choose Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of one of the more, I suppose, modern eclectic tastes of uh, folks from the East, who's a very sort of westernized in his musical taste. I suppose a mix. Yeah. Lovely kid, eh? Yeah, oh, yeah, very, 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 lovely kid, lovely kid. Well, enjoy the cricket. We'll look forward to hearing your famous voice on the on the oh. airwaves. Uh, and regards to the rest of the guys, if anyone else wants to come and talk to us, and uh, yeah, I'll talk to Kirkley. I'll, I'll talk to Kirkley and see if we can he can spare you a few minutes before yeah. he returns to Antigua after the series. And we'll try to do the tour the game justice. Thank you so much for having me.